From racing.com and top sport, this is a good three with Dr. Turf, Matt Welsh and Paul Tatnall. Hello and welcome to another episode of a good three and Paul Tatnall, we're still minus one Dr. Turf. I saw a photo of the... uh the senior citizen of racing. Uh, now, can you? That ex- has taken five seconds for you to whack in an ageist joke. I actually asked my wife during the week how do senior citizens cope with jet lag, and she gave me the look of I've no interest in this conversation. So moving on, I did see a photo of him outside of Royal Ascot with the uh, tails on, despite telling you and I he wouldn't be going to the races. Can you explain to me what was in that photo? Look like a Porsche. Yeah, you have a few in his bottom. Uh, Bottom basement. In the turntable in the basement. No, no, it looked like he was having a great time over there. And uh, amazingly, despite being away, he read the rundown this week for the first time, <laughs> although he's not in the uh, in the podcast. It, 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 nothing shocks me anymore with Turf. We do miss him somewhat, almost. almost. Um, obviously, Ascot's come to an end. Matt Atorius, one of the... Uh, I wasn't surprised by how well he ran, and I also wasn't surprised that he managed to find some difficulty getting to the line. No, no doubt about that. He certainly zigzagged up the Royal Ascot straight. But we'll touch on Royal Ascot a little bit later in the podcast. We've got a special guest this week, uh, none other than Cranbourne trainer Gavin Bedgegood. He's been doing a terrific job with his team of late, including big win at Flemington on Saturday, Gavin, with Naswari. And I've got to say, I've never seen or rarely seen as excited a bunch of owners as there was in the mounting yard at Flemington this week. Yeah, g'day guys. They were uh, they were pretty pumped. Um, big occasion for them, first Flemington winner, and and also for myself. Sounded like a, a great group of owners you had in Naswari. Yeah, it is. Um, a, a few local people. Um, Frankie D, who's the the local barber in Cranbourne, he's he's jumped in, and um, Colin Eden, who's my farrier, he's involved in the horse, and Anthony Jacobs, uh, he got a syndicate of blokes ready to jump in, and. Uh, He's been a great supporter of our stable and um, loves getting involved in these tried horses. They're the colours that um, that he races in Nazrari and uh, yeah, a couple of other blokes. And um, look, they're all good, solid supporters of my stable. Was it just that they'd had their first Flemington winner, or had they cleaned up on the punt as well? No, they uh, they had a bit of a result on the punt. Um, one of the owners, uh, his parents had a won the first at Donald, and I think he had it in a multi with him, and also <laughs> owned a share in Biometric, and they had a, a nice oh. double into him, and uh, I think they got the Quinella a couple of times as well. Are they gone to bed yet, mate, or are they still celebrating? No, i seen them at the races yesterday, and um, they look like they've recovered all right. <laughs> did, talking, you're a, it's obviously a smaller trainer. How do you go about finding these owners? Do you Is it as is it much as a sales job in your role as it is actually training the horses? Uh, it was a really hard sell, I suppose, two years ago when we started purchasing these horses. And um, I suppose there's no better way to get people involved than to get results. And it's just sort of grown from there. So um, if I go buy yearling at the sales, it takes me months to sell it. Um, I buy a tried horse online and it's normally gone within a couple of days. So it's it's become a lot easier. But um yeah, look, as I said, Anthony, he's, he's been a great help and asset to me. He uh, he always jumps in for, for something and he's always got a, a crew of people behind him that, that get involved as well. Gavin, going back to the start of your racing journey, how did you get involved in this sport? Uh, I did pony club and all that sort of thing. I had cousins that rode horses and it sort of snowballed from there. I got a, a weekend school holidays job at Robbie Griffiths' and... Um, 
learned to ride track work and um, started an apprenticeship and, and got pretty heavy quite quickly and that moved on the, to riding at the amateurs and then I rode there for two years and, and then went on to being a jumps jockey for 12 or 13 years, I think it was, and um, that led me to becoming a trainer. Going back to that uh, Pony Club, I read an article with interest that Ben Spall posted on the racing.com website a couple of years ago. He said uh, it might have been chasing the fairer sex that led you <laughs> to uh, to heading to Pony Club. Yeah, I um, I went to primary school with some girls that uh, that all used to go riding on the weekend and I went down there with them one weekend and uh, I think there was about you know, 12 or 15 girls down there and I thought this was all right. And uh, I remember I used to cop plenty of flack from my mates at school, but... Uh, um, I think once they all seen what was going on down there, they understood why I wasn't around much. I was going to say, it's an unusual choice at that age. You know, usually it's chasing the footy or the leather around on a Saturday. But was it about the horses eventually, though, that kept you coming back once the girls potentially had uh, gone their separate ways? No, I, I never played football or anything like that. It's just been racing for me, and I, I don't have too many hobbies either. It's uh, it's pretty much racing 24-7 in air household. You had a really good jumps career in the saddle you won uh, a grand uh, a grand annual aboard a horse that created a lot of interest i think it was a couple of years prior in in banner strand what's it what's it like the difference between a riding career and the training career that you've now embarked on yeah i've done plenty in racing um i was a jumps jockey obviously for quite a long time and i was a rider agent for five or six years and um yeah, you don't realise how easy you've got it when you're riding to to when you're a trainer. You have an ordinary day at the office or a rider rides one poorly. You've got to go and explain to people and then try and work out what happened if you've had one run ordinary for, you know, no reason that you can find on the day. And then um, you might have a horse that's not very sound. You've got to try and patch that horse up and, and get it back to the races in really good order at its next start. And it's it's just a lot of work behind the scenes that goes into it. I sort of get up at... 20 to 3 each morning and uh yeah it's just it's never ending on yeah 20 to 3 in the morning and get home at six o'clock that night so it's, it's full on yeah, a lot of hours obviously some of the best trainers in the world have always said that the jockeys when they go into the training circles almost have an advantage because they know the horses they understand horses a little bit better can you tell me the inside knowledge having ridden so many what does it give you in terms of when you come to train a difficult horse what kind of insights can you uh, provide I suppose from being in the industry for about 22 or 23 years now, um, a lot of different trainers that I've worked for and I've worked for some really good ones too, I think, and um, just little tricks you might learn along the way and you sort of take a notice of and at the time you might not think much of it, but then, you know, now that I've had horses, you remember that that trainer did something and and uh, try it yourself and, and go from there, I suppose. What's the most important bit of advice or lesson or two that you've picked up along the way you've mentioned you've worked with a couple of really good trainers through your formative years what are the, the two two or three bits of advice that have stood you in best stead uh i suppose feed your horses well and and keep them sound and and a lot of the time the rest will take care of itself uh soundness is a really big um thing for me especially with a lot of these tried horses um They've all been at a gallop at some stage or shown some sort of ability and it's a matter of um, and tapping into them and, and finding out what is going on and some of them might be having an internal bleed that you don't know about. So we scope our horses quite regularly and, and if you don't do that, you don't know. So 
and then just being able to ride myself, um, you're able to get on the horse and, and have a ride and uh, and see how it should or shouldn't feel. And I know all my horses pretty well, so um, it just it gives me a bit of an inside edge, I suppose. Given you've had that riding experience, if a jockey, in your opinion, may give it a what well, call a poor ride? Do you uh, do you feel free to give that advice freely once the uh, jockey returns to scales? Uh, no, I remember getting a bake from Chris <laughs> Island uh, in the first twelve months that I rode at Warrnambool, and it was a pretty significant one. I think TVN had just started, and uh, <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to crawl into a ball and uh, go and hide in the corner, and I just. I pretty much said to myself that I didn't want to be that person and, look, you can't change the result. I'll normally let them know if I'm not happy with it or sometimes you won't see me in the mounting yard post-race, but uh, um, it, it's done and you can't change it, so you just move on and they normally don't ride it next start. <laughs> Gavin, just going back to when I think you first took out your trainer's licence in around 2017 and, and I read that you kicked off with some runners at the picnics. You also didn't mind having a bet on a couple of the runners that you took to the races at that stage? Yeah, don't mind a punt. Um, the first horse, Robbie Lang, actually he gifted us. Um, my uh, my fiance Karen, and, and myself owned him, and he was a, a really good horse to us. Um, he had, I think he had won a maiden at Cranbourne, but he had been winless for about 16 starts, and we just took him to the picnics, um, hoping to sort of build his confidence, and his first when he sort of almost won under sufferance and he just got better and better each time and uh, they kept putting up a price and I think one day at Woolamore we walked out with about fifteen or 16000 so there is money to be made there and um, people, you know, will say you're racing for peanuts there but, it, you know, if you like your horse and uh, you place them well, you can normally go there and, and get a collect. And are you still backing, are you still keen to have a bet on your horses these days? Now they're mainly going around at the tab tab races do you set them for particular races and uh let rip the wallet yeah i don't mind a bet um i'll normally have something on most of my runners but you'll have one every now and then that uh yeah you'll unleash on and sometimes you're right and and you know you're wrong sometimes and uh i'll come home and get a bit of stick over it sometimes but uh it is what it is and you don't hear any complaints when you when you pull it off what's been the biggest plunge that you have pulled off uh, now you got me. Um, we got a nice collect out of a little filly called Rose Dior at sale first up at the the end of like, oh, might have been um, October last year or something like that. She won a 1,400-metre maiden. We, we got a nice win there. And um, Sir Callahad, we've, we've had a couple of nice collects out of him as well. A couple of horses that have been real stalwarts for the stable. Like you mentioned Sir Callahad. Also no effort, a mare who's just had an outstanding career. She's a last start winner at Caulfield. Those sorts of horses must mean a lot to you being a trainer of a smaller stable. Yeah, we we love both horses and um, they mean a lot to us. And uh, I... I don't know where we'd be without them. Um, Sir Callahad, I remember purchasing him online and didn't have the money to pay for him. And I sort of looked at his form and thought he'd be easy enough to to move on. And I think I sold 50% or 45% of him pretty quickly and uh, got left holding the baby and um, and couldn't get rid of him. And he's one we had a, had a good go at his first run for us at Mornington. I think he was $66 and something crazy to place. And I put blinkers on him and he ran fourth. He got beaten a photo, I think, 
uh, a photo for third, and I think Vora won the race. And uh, look, we went and won a couple after that, but that could have been a really nice result that day. We're uh, look around some of the biggest stables, uh, Gav. We see like the Marius is using data and form analysts and experts to choose where they place the horses. Talking some of the smaller stables, how do you go about finding the suitable race for your horse? Obviously, you know your horses really well, but when you're competing against the biggest stables that have these expensive data sets and form analysts working for them, how do you go competing against them? Um, just recently, the last few months, we've started using the the Ariano Equimeter, which is what Kira Mar and, and Dave Eustace use for their horses to um, you know, find out how fit their horse is and, and their recovery and that sort of thing. So... That's been a bit of an asset for us, um, I suppose, through being a rider agent and uh, and not minding a bet. I can sort of have a look at a race and think, well, you're kidding yourself running it here and decide not to run it and, and try and place your horse as well. But um, people like Dean Lester, he owns a couple of shares and horses with us. He's been a great asset as well. And he'll normally uh, give you a clip around the ear and say, yeah, you're, you're wasting your time and um, don't be stupid. But... Uh, yeah, he's been a great asset as well. Does Dean give you frank advice and around this? Is it what I'm trying to ask? Is the advice that he gives you meaningful in the in how you place your horses? Yeah, I think so. Perfect example is a horse, no effort. Um, I remember probably this time last year, I sort of said to him that I had to try and get some black type of this. You'd already won two or three Saturday Metro winners, and he sort of said uh, the heavily was her race to do that in he um he said she's going to be the the fit mare a lot you get a lot of stays and, and your cups horses resuming in that sort of race and if you can go there on top of your game um bowling along on speed she was going to be hard to, to hold out and, and he was 100 percent right there you've made a name for yourself buying tried horses turning their form around getting them to win races What's the key to being able to do that successfully? I mean, a lot of these horses have come from very big, very good stables previous to entering your yard. What is it that you're doing that can get the best out of these horses? Every one of them's different. Um, I suppose where we train from, we're 10 minutes from the, the, tra- the training complex at Cranbourne and all their horses are outdoors during the day. So a lot of our horses used to come from... A, Flemington or a Caulfield or Rose Hill, Ramwick, where they're in a confined environment for the majority of their day, where we are, they they come home from the track. The first load is home by 5.30 and they're outside till 4 o'clock that afternoon or, or later if, you know, it's daylight savings. And um, and they're just able to move around. We've got lovely big yards that are shaded by gum trees and it's just, um, you know, they're older horses and um, it's more of a natural environment for them. Some of them, you know, have had soundness issues or bad feet. I've got a great farrier. Um, I've also got a great vet, you know. As I said, we scope our horses regularly. Some of them may be having an internal bleed, and you've just got to try and fix that and treat it. And, uh, yeah, if you're, if you're not scoping your horses or you, you don't really know, you're only having a guess, I suppose. So it's something I'm pretty big on. And um, Tuesday morning is um, quite a busy morning for the vet. But, um to get a result with the tried horses, you've, you know, you've got to try and tick all your boxes, I suppose. What do you look for in the online sales when you're buying these tried horses? There's so many horses up for sale at the English Digital Auctions and the other various digital auctions that there are, and the prices have shot through the roof. They've become so competitive. So what is it that you're looking for 
when you're buying these horses online? Um, just, I suppose, I haven't bought a lot of interstate horses. I probably have over the last six months, but um, I've always tried to look for horses that have got sort of form around our, our region, Gippsland. So um, the form normally stacks up and um, just a horse that's, at some stage in its career has shown something and it may have sort of its form may, may have tapered off and I suppose you just watch a lot of replays and, and see how the horse is being ridden and uh, where it's been placed and, and try and go from there. But um, I never used to sort of really worry about the age of horses. We used to buy, you know, five, six, seven-year-olds. But I, now that, um, you know, we're trying to get other people on board, we try not to, you know, we're probably more targeting three- and four-year-olds now and uh, I suppose reach their mark and then look to move them on again. Do you have designs of growing the stable to another level yet again and starting to get heavily involved or at least more involved in the yearling market, buy horses at the sales and, and bring them through their career that way? Uh, I don't want to get too big because I enjoy still riding a bit of track work. I like being hands-on and, and knowing each of my horses individually. I still go around, collect all the waste before I go to the track of the morning, collect the waste of an afternoon, make my own feeds up. So I know how each horse should be eating or shouldn't be eating. And um, I suppose once you get bigger, you've got got to start delegating jobs like that to people. And that's when I suppose when you start to lose touch a little bit. Um, Yearlings, definitely, but um, we probably bought four or five this year. And as I said, a a tried horse, I can sell it straight away. But a, a yearling is... You know, um, it's a lot harder for me to move on. But in saying that, we haven't really had our chance with younger horses. So you can only do what you can with what you've got. And um, I'm sure, you know, if we're able to get some something that's better bred, that's young, we can uh, bring them up. I, I worked for someone like Robbie Lang for a decade, I suppose, maybe longer. And he was one of the best at training a two-year-old. He'd, he'd win an early two-year-old race every year. And he always had something up and going. And then... You know, he go right through to your um, your staying races. He, he was a very versatile trainer, I suppose. Gavin, we're here on the uh, podcast. We do a multi every week, which we are currently in the, some of the worst form known to man when it comes to punting. We wouldn't mind you contributing to the multi this week. Now, I see you've got a few runners across the weekend. Do you have a tip? Well, it can be outside of your stable if you want to go down that path, but... Do you have a tip for us for the weekend that we can chuck in the multi to hopefully at least get one leg, considering we got zero out of three last weekend? Only got the one runner this weekend, and it's no effort. Um, barrier one, she actually normally draws poorly this mare, and it sometimes works because you're normally the horse coming across, putting the pressure on the other runners rather than having to sort of burrow up and, and hold your mark. But um, I think she's probably a, a, a good place bet. Um, I don't think she's going to get a saunter in front like she did last time. I think a horse like Grand Slam is going to probably roll forward and, and provide some pressure this time. They, they took a hold last start and it didn't really work for them. So I think they'll probably revert back to their normal tactics. But, yeah, look, she never runs poorly. She always races well around Caulfield. And um, if she can get a couple of easy sections at some point in the race, she's always uh, thereabouts. So that's no effort. We're going to place, going to place. I think. She's, uh, gee, she's been a wonderful mare for the stable, Gavin. It was great to see her back to the winner's circle last time out. It was great to see you and your owners having uh, a terrific time out there at Flemington on Saturday. Thanks very much for joining us on the podcast. Not a problem. Thanks, boys. 
Having a bet on the racing this week? Top this. With Top Sport's best of the best multis, top odds are guaranteed. Place a best of the best multi during Saturday Metro meetings for the top flux or dividend from the best three national totes. Plus, there's best of the best to win up to five grand too. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. From the newsroom. So I want to touch on a little bit of news, and really the news of the past week or so has all been centred around Royal Ascot. And from your perspective, Paul, Editor-in-Chief at Racing.com, we made a, a significant investment in covering the Royal Ascot week. What were the numbers like on the website? What was engagement like in the Royal meeting? It was like, significant. Like We obviously invested to send James Seferis. Wow. Wow. You, you've done yourself a disservice here because James Seferis is now on the world stage. He will be <laughs> fielding job offers from every oh, single don't, media don't, outlet yeah. in, on the planet. Well, we've got performance reviews coming up, so I've got to try and make sure the pay claims don't go significantly higher. No, he did an excellent job. The numbers, Matt, to give you some context, Spring Carnival Week for us, the Melbourne Cup Carnival, is usually our best week of metrics. There were some days there that rivaled Melbourne Cup Day. Nature Strip uh, obviously was the most well-read. Roger Aldridge wrote a significant story around the call. Who? Izzy works for the Ladbrokes podcast. He does a bit, does a bit of work for us. Ah. He, he's call, he did a story about the call of the cup, of the uh, Nature Strip race. That did, it was Melbourne Cup-like traffic, and then it died off a little bit, and then obviously Home Affairs and Artorias came through. Melbourne Cup-like engagement, it is huge. What I loved about it as well is that the it showed the world Australian racing how well we can do it on a sprinter level, mind you. Well, state of rest as well. I mean, the Cox Plate form, it, it we can't just. Claim a, him as Australian. No, he's not Australian, although he's owned, you know, in, in part by Australian connections. But what it did say is the strength of that Cox Plate, in mm. hindsight, it was a Cox Plate that most were questioning the quality. And I put my hand up and say, look, didn't think it was the best Cox Plate year. But you've got state of rest has won group ones, I think, on. Well, at least in four countries, yep. including that Cox Plate. Animo, probably the best three-year-old. You had Very Elegant. Finishing third. Back in third. That's who's incredible. about to head over and contest an arc. Who, who weeks later, won, in my view, one of the most iconic wins in a Melbourne Cup. Uh, it, it, it clearly, in the ratings, Dan O'Sullivan came out during the week and released his ratings. And uh, State of Rest was slightly above his Cox Plate victory in his ratings, but he's still rating incredibly high. So I'm with you. I I think the Cox Plate, looking back last year, will go down as a uh, very high-quality race. No doubt about it. Good to see State of Rest uh, likely to come back. We chatted to Henry Field from Newgate on Wednesday. And before we go, have you seen some of the social media work of uh, Mr. Seferis and Jared Dooley? Uh, with their Jared camera- being our cameraman. Yeah, he, I think we've seen them in some of the most iconic uh, UK racing surfaces and it ended yesterday with Jared hitting a golf ball uh, in one of the most high class in Dubai, Dubai. Uh, golf uh, golf courses so it's well, been a nice couple of weeks they work for you mate so what's what's going on well they haven't, the they haven't submitted their ex- I've, I've seen. they haven't submitted their expense claims yet Matthew it's going to be enormous I tell you. <laughs> there goes all the pay rise budget but uh, <laughs> Royal Ascot it was a great week well done to um all involved in putting it on over there. I thought coverage was excellent, both coming out of the UK and also uh, the guys who did it here locally for us on racing.com. Hopefully next year we see some more Australians over there. We're going to see Artorias push on to the July Cup.
Yeah, exciting and, you know, fascinating. A lot of commentary about the ride on a tourist. I, I wasn't surprised. I backed into place. But that's him. He gets back. He, he does. He, he, he needs comes off the bit a long way out. The only other option I think Jamie Spencer had was sticking to the inside yep. and not going around a horse. He chose to go through the middle. He's just a horse that's going to need luck no matter what. And Sam Freeman said he thought the ride was spot on. He doesn't have an exceptional turn of foot. Yeah. Saw a bit of debate on Twitter about the ride. It got a bit heated between uh, a couple of journalists. I think I've said this before. Up in New South Wales. Why Elon Musk would pay a dollar for that cesspit of a forum, let alone fifty-five billion or thirty, forty-four billion, is still it's still staggering. It drives racing, doesn't it, Paul? Drives the racing narrative. Twitter does it. I don't know. Anyway, enough of that. That was our Scott. Gee, it was a good week. Really enjoyed it. Uh, we've got a bit of news on incentivise. Yeah, that, this is this is a story that you read out in you know racing uh, media you also hear the rumors going around that incentivize will never come back that's clearly not the case it's had a couple of scans to clear it to race they're going to scan it regularly as he comes back into the trials and obviously had another um, campaign for the spring but i think with the lack of internationals coming out this spring that's what we're hearing the presence of incentivise this spring is really important yeah i think so we spoke to damien lane and you'd written previously that you thought the japanese weren't going to come out damien lane all but confirmed that which is on after the last on curious Wednesday because it was COVID that, originally well yeah damien sort of loosely said that they still had some concerns around the protocols and were struggling to get their heads around it i think the communication around those protocols they've made some concessions around say the centigraphy because they don't have nuclear technology in japan so there's no way they could do it. I know we've got off the, off the scale here, but it's been hard for RV and hard for clubs to communicate with these jurisdictions because of COVID. Those uh, barriers have gone. Um, I know that the Melbourne Racing Club and the Mooney Valley really wanted the Japanese here this spring. I think there's potentially one horse from Japan um, that may find its way over here and then stay here. Um, but and also looking to Europe, I, I don't see the numbers coming um, despite some slight concessions made recently by Racing Victoria in that space. And we know State of Rest is likely to come. Jane Chappell-Hyam yep. said she might send a couple, but uh, outside of that, I think it'll be mainly horses that have been acquired. And, and I think Lloyd might have, it, Lloyd Lloyd have a, a few as well. Yep. That's usually the way it plays out. Uh, obviously, Gink Gay um and adrian bought bought one yep. over there as well so that'll be here so you have you have the flavor you've also got the otis and australian bloodstocks and and these sorts of um syndication groups that are going to buy horses and bring them out on one-way yeah, tickets 100 percent. Uh, but you're just not going to have the it's just not going to be like it used to be and i don't know whether it ever will return to that um to that space not the end of the world and don't forget matt that the fatality free melbourne cup is more important than a significant uh, international contingent nail head spot on anyway that's enough of the news let's try and find a winner at caulfield on saturday an early look matt's time to find some winners if you're a tipping like me at the moment i have not found a way. i reckon it's weeks weeks and it, it obviously precious socks last weekend our runner which we'll talk about later when it comes to the multi the world famous multi for the wrong reasons at the moment. But you do hear do head to Caulfield on the weekend. Speaking of precious socks, though, we've bought a small share in another runner. We who, ha- who shot who? Now we're lucky this because my wife, as I've said several times, refuses to listen to the podcast, so we can't talk about it. Uh, a former Bryce Stanaway horse. Yeah, well, uh, trialed really well, so I thought worth a, a throw at the stump. So I'm interested to see how he goes in coming weeks. We'll provide a little update. But uh, in terms of how it's been going, trial show's been going well. 
Uh, absolutely bombed at Flemington last weekend, though. I had the privilege of being on course watching everything I like stink it up. I and, saw some. Uh, uh, it's, it's, it's just, it's, the cesspit of Twitter didn't miss that either. The, the cesspit of Twitter was very open to some feedback. The fact that were it wasn't. They? A, yeah, no, I, I, di- I didn't notice, but uh, it, it, it's a. It's a tough place a being on air when you're, when you're struggling a bit. But, uh, so time to have a final win. We're going to start with race one at over the 1,200 metres. Yeah, a good race this. There's a couple of interesting runners. I thought Chain of Lightning first up for the Moody Stables trialled really well. Unusual culture. I think I tipped it on the show a couple of weeks ago and was scratched. Linda Meach, Kieran Ma, David Eustace. Gee, she's trialled well. Her debut win in New Zealand at Ataki was, was outstanding. And on the back of that, she was obviously purchased by Aussie Kahir and his group. And uh, she raced in their colours at her next two starts in Stakes Company. I think she's the horse to beat. Another horse one. for the battling ownership group there. Yeah, so that's race one. Unusual culture. I think the danger is uh, chain of lighting. Now, get the race two, the two-year-old. Gee, there's some nice horses. Oh, this is, a, this is a cracker. This is one of the better two-year-old races of the season in Victoria. We know how good Gahanti is. One down the straight, dominantly on debut. Damien Oliver's overseas, so Brett Preble jumps into the saddle in place of Damien. She's the horse to beat. She's not going to get it all her own way. I think $2 against a couple of really nice horses is probably rock bottom. He's Heaven's trolled up beautifully for Peter Moody, daughter of Lights of Heaven, who Peter also trained. I think he's going to make his presence felt. Thrombone, $35, $8 the place. Gee, he was good late at Sandown. He... Reeled off the best last four and 200 metre splits of the meeting. I think south of Houston down the bottom, number 16 is going to be scratched. But uh, watch for wherever she goes as well. She's trialled up like a rocket. But that's a ripping race there, the two-year-old. Heading over to race six, I'm interested in this race and sort of a couple of horses. I think Inundation, I've been on all camp. I haven't backed him because he's been too short. But he trialled up so well leading into the preparation. He's the horse to beat. Jai McNeil jumping back aboard a plus. Gee, it's a good race though, isn't it? It is a good race. I reckon nice for what down the bottom. $23. More the place for mine. She was dominant at Cranbourne last time out. She tried up brilliantly leading in. She gets a two kilo claim for Alana Kelly. She's going to put herself up on speed. Tried well leading into the campaign. Inundation the horse to beat, but uh, having something on nice for what each way. Squid Game in there as well. Obviously, Just, yeah, we'll be little, competitive. little query for Squid Game back to a thousand meters, but was super first up. There's no doubt about that. Or well, last time out. And you got another one in race seven over the twelve hundred meters as well. Yeah, another another race. I don't mind one at odds. I think this is a very open race. I thought Zoltan had trialed up quite well. Certainly needs to go into quaddies at, at sort of thirteen dollars. But designer chef, just about there, one of the roughies of the field. Mark Webb had a nice winner at Cranbourne on Wednesday. He's had a couple of horses trial up well lately, including this bloke. He goes well fresh. His best runs have been at 1,200, despite the fact that he got out to 2,000 metres last campaign. Drawn a nice marble in gate five. He doesn't have to concede too big a start. Do I think he's over the odds? $20 at the moment in markets. I reckon after last week's, uh, I would say, flat performance, we'll say, I reckon you're going to nail it this week. Well, I won't now. No, I am, I'm calling it. You, you can't lose. You cannot lose. Oh. Finally, before you go talk to Tristan Merlihan, uh, we're going to have over the 1,400 metres, race number eight. You've got another one there for us. Yeah, Cardinal Gem, look, probably comes down and wins. I'm dropping off. He, he's desperately oh, unlucky really? last time. One of those unluckiest horses, I think, he Cardinal is. He, I reckon Ken and Casey Keys have got a good horse here in Bolton. Mm. Trialled up super leading into the preparation. One of the easiest wins you've ever seen at Mowie. Should have won by 200 lengths at Mornington last start. He was held up seven, seven and eight times in the run. You watch him pass the post. 
He put four lengths on them in the twinkling of an eye. So do you place emphasis on that? 100%. Yeah. You, you've got to work out how far the try and work out. Because he was held up yeah, three or four times down the side. And even again at the top of the short home straight, he was held up. Mm. He he um he should have won by a long way. Now this is a tougher test. Don't get me wrong, but the blinkers have gone on this preparation. Mm-hmm. He's a different horse. Thomas Stockdale's been on board both wins. He draws ideally in gate six, so he won't have the same sort of traffic issues he did last start. As I said, rising grade, but he looks super promising. You get eleven dollars three twenty to find out. Terrific. I bet. think you're mad to take Cardinal Gemitino. Oh no, I'll. He's, he's going well. He makes uh, his life so difficult. Yeah, I, I think gate 10 suits him because yeah. at least he'll get clean air. Um, we'll know how the track's playing by this stage. It'll be interesting with the rail back to the true. Key's going to be how much rain falls on Friday. But I, I think Bolton will run really well and does handle Sting out. Well, that's some winners you can't lose, to be frank, Matty. You, well, put it this way, you're due. Um, yes, but it's now time to talk to the man with the freshest haircut in racing, Tristan Merlihan. Having a bet on sport this week? Top this. Whether you're into cricket and curling or golf and greyhounds, Top Sport will let you on for plenty. And with literally hundreds of markets from your own backyard to the international stage, Top Sport has you well covered. So if you want to get the top odds every time, bet with Top Sport. Top that. Download the app today. Top Sport. Feel the excitement. Don't let the game play. You stay in control. Gamble responsibly. A look from the book. Presented by Top Sport. Well, Tristan, since we last spoke to you, gee, the hits keep coming for the bookies. Another point of consumption tax rise in New South Wales. We've gone from 10 up to 15%. We went from 15 up to 20% in Queensland a couple of weeks ago. The hits just keep coming. Yeah, they, they definitely keep coming. And you know, it's, it's the hit on the bookie, but the reality is it's a hit on the punter as well. And I think that's more pertinent for everyone out there listening. Um, the impact that's going to be felt around the marketplace. And uh, I'm struggling to wrap my head around the, the reasons or the necessity for it. Um, you know, it, it, we, we, I think this might have been when we first uh, met many years ago, Matt, when uh, the, the fees were raised probably four or five years ago and we had a, a couple of candid chats. And I, and I think you understand now it's not about us whinging about, you know, for us, it's ultimately it's becoming a really big problem. I feel for the punters, and um, it got to a point just before COVID hit where turnover was really starting to drop off, and um, you know, then obviously COVID happened, and there was a lot of probably uh, unicorn situations that happened for punters and or for the marketplace where turnover really increased, and I just fear that. Everyone's got such a short memory, they don't realise where the situation of the marketplace was that two or three years ago. And with these increases from where they were now to where they are going, it's going to have an even bigger impact off you. So the point of consumption tax has gone up. For the, for the punter at home, what are they going to feel? Are you, are you suggesting that market percentages are essentially going to increase, which means the cost of having a bet goes up? Oh, they have to. There's just no doubt about it. The, we've already had to pull some levers um, because ultimately the marketplace is so competitive at the moment, it, it becomes problematic, it's particularly for a bookmaker like us where we try to take on all punters, we try to offer a very fair service. So we do have to increase our margin on the back of it. We're going to have to look at products, what we offer. Um, 
it's uh, it, it, it's going to have an impact on the punters from the price they secure for the sizable punters, what what bets they can they can place to, to what level, and uh, and also what what products they can secure. So it's not just going to be us that are out there looking for ways to to try to um, absorb the extra the extra cost. It'll be everyone, and 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 it'll be a domino effect. And that's what I fear we've already seen with the domino effect with. New South Wales changing their model on the back of Queensland doing it. It's only going to take a couple of bookies to have to make a move and everyone's probably going to follow suit. So it's a, it's a real worry what's going to occur over the next couple of weeks, I suggest. Tristan, one of the biggest advocates for increased taxes or increased point of consumption taxes has been Tabcorp, who have been lobbying hard to see you guys hit with a bigger tax and, and trying to level the playing field. Why do you think it's unfair of tab to be pushing for that why do you think that they have a competitive advantage that they should pay more well firstly it's a it's a double layer question there matt like the um the reality of the situation there's been a lot of media and a lot of talk about the overseas bookmakers not paying their fair share well that's irrelevant to us where we're aussie um owned we're paying massive numbers to the race field to tax in, in australia so I think that argument is very frustrating where we're caught in the crosshairs of the big boys going at it. Um, and there's a lot of bookmakers. There's a stack of smaller bookmakers out there that are going to, that are going to feel the impost when the, uh, the, you know, the, they're, they're at an arms war between themselves. Now the tab have got a massive competitive advantage. They've got retail outlets in so many pubs in so many places all around the nation. If I had that competitive advantage, I'd be worrying about what I can do to make my product better not taking pot shots and not to bring the competition back to me because so, they've got such a massive competitive advantage in where they sit. So what are you trying to say? This is my question here. Are the bookies here being punished for poor performance by the tab to uh, essentially transition to a digital space? Are you now feeling you're being punished for the inability to take the monopoly and use that advantage? Oh, yeah, we are. But that, that's not that's not an issue for the punter out there. They don't care and that, that's fine. The reality is it's not the, we're, we're being punished, but the punters are the ones being punished more so. They're, they're going to have a much inferior product on the back of this, which is detrimental for, for the racing game. It's going to mean, you know, for us, we've had to drop our turnover by 20% this month and um, that's going to flow onto race fields. All these percentages going up, that's going to flow onto less revenue at the end of end of the day. And um, the reality of the situation is now the the, the punters out there that are that are that one to three percent winning or losing that, that that low margin punters these guys are going to be hit so drastically and these are the punters out there that should be championing our game these are the ones out there that should be promoted to, to bet into this game and they're not going to be able to they're, they're going to they're obviously going to be able to get onto the minimums but they're, they're not going to be able to get to anywhere near the extent that they've been able to wager up until this point so that's where the problem is that these guys are going to shift to sport or shift to different avenues or, you know, it, it, it's a worry. Who knows where the black market and this sort of thing happens. So the, the tab haven't utilised their competitive advantage and um, and instead of trying to find ways to improve internally, they're, they're going about a different way, which I don't necessarily agree with. One thing I've been noticing from the tab side of it, all of a sudden they are active in the media space and they're also active in the lobbying space. They have some of the best relationship with governments. Is it time that, the, A, do you guys speak to the government and tell them, uh, you know, I can't swear on a podcast if this isn't good enough. Oh, and, you just about could. <laughs> okay. Do you say on that's not good enough? And B, is it time to start getting more aggressive in this space to highlight the areas that the tab are letting the industry down? 
Yeah, they can. I, I guess the frustration from our point of view is there's been no consultation. You know, like I, I think people think we pull these levers or we do this and it's going to have this impact to the, the bottom line, but it's it's not. And, and, and I think that's where the frustration is. Yeah, we could point those issues out. But B, if, if we were given the opportunity to explain, well, what's the repercussions of this from our point of view? What's it, what impact is it going to have on the industry? Is this decision that, that, that has been made, it's not being made anymore, it's been made, is it the, the right one? And, and I'm sure there would be an overwhelming no. They've been bullied, bullied into a position by a, a very uh, significant partner and participant and um, without any consultation over a, a, a bigger group, like, you know, taking us out of the picture. Some of these bigger agencies and these, they're paying a lot of money, the, the sports bets, the Bet365s, the Labrokes of the world, they're, they're paying a stack of money back into the industry. And I think this um, hysteria that's being made at the moment that they're not is absolute garbage because oh, I, 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 people are coming up to me in the street, oh, why aren't these guys paying their fair share? They are. They're, they're, everyone's paying a massive amount into the industry, but for whatever reason, the, the propaganda and the media spin is, is, is coming out differently, which is uh, incredibly frustrating. They're certainly doing a good job at uh, lobbying Tabcorp. There's absolutely no doubt about that. But uh, a big watch this space, probably over the next two to five years, really, the impact won't be immediate, but uh, may well down the track. Hey, moving on, Tristan, let's just go back to Royal Ascot last week. You reported some amazing turnover levels on the first couple of days when we spoke last Thursday. How did the week end up for you? And what sort of numbers were you doing turnover-wise across the five days compared to, you know, say, some sort of – compare it to a Victorian meeting on a given day of the week? Yeah, well, I think this is a perfect example because – you know, even though point of consumption tax you are still levied on the uh, the the, uh, the bets being placed by individuals in those states, there's the compounding effect with the race fields, which obviously aren't relevant on the Ascot meeting. So we were able to bet really aggressive prices, really attractive margins, and our turnover increased uh, significantly. It was one of our biggest holding Ascots for, forever. Uh, we, we rate more tickets on it than we've ever done, and the um, the actual uh, the, the comparison it, it would be a uh, a good midweek Victorian meeting on a Wednesday, say, the equivalence in hold, which I think is enormous considering the time zone. Um, we obviously had a, had a few Aussie horses over there, which is great, but it created so much interest and um, and there were lots of punters getting involved. They were getting top prices, we were betting massive limits and it was a real e- ecosystem, that marketplace. So, yeah, it was a huge, uh, huge week. Obviously, started off Nature Strip getting the results so the punters had, had a fill up to finish uh, to start and then Home Affairs not quite performing as expected, so we, we got a bit back late. So it was a very even betting carnival. Yeah, you would have cleaned up the last day there. Right? Let's have a look at the early money. You've got a big meeting up in Queensland on Saturday, the last of the Group 1s for the season. Has there been one or two the punters have latched on to early doors? Yeah, one in particular, Race 1, uh, Seductive Queen, has been absolutely smashed. $4 into three thirty. Drawn Barrier 10, form line 6 and 0. Not the greatest form line on paper, but it's dropped back to a Class 3. These are uh, big pushes in an early race on a feature day always uh, give us a little bit of concern because uh, punters normally or the trainers can set themselves for these big, big days where they know there's a, a lot of liquidity in the marketplace. So, yeah, Seductive Queen, race one number four, $4 into three I'm tipping it's going to run a very big race on Saturday. Kieran Murray and David Eustace clearly weren't listening to the podcast last week because they still sent Quintello to Flemington. Of course, uh, your lay of the day last Saturday, she put out the anchor at the... 400 metre mark. Yes, she'd had a tough run, but she ended up uh, beating one runner home, nine lengths adrift of the winner. The lay of the day, it is absolutely on fire. Who are you taking on this week? 
Yeah, well, I'm, the, the Mar and Eustace can't. We actually have a couple of runners with the boys, so they might not be too happy to hear this. But the uh, this horse was the last one that uh, saluted out of the lay of the day for us. I'm going back to the well. I'm going Grand Slam, race four, number one. It won two months to the day ago when I uh, said the same thing. It was very impressive that day. But I certainly think it's a chance of winning, but I just feel it's well under the odds uh, in this race. I think it's a high-quality affair, I think all three or four horses could be close to favourites in this race. So I just feel at 3.30, it, it, it should be a bit closer to the $4 mark. That's race four, number one, Grand Slam in what looks a really even competitive race. Something that hasn't been performing up to the levels of the mm. lay of the day is the good three multi. I don't know. We Do we sack it? No, we don't. Uh, we got to land one before old mate gets home uh, from That's the UK. That's the challenge. That's the challenge because we've, Put a lot of the blame on him, and fairly too, to be honest, because he, I don't think he's landed one for a while. But the worst thing about Saturday, Tristan, is that Matt and I had a we I put pressure socks our horse into the multi. Uh, we'll describe it as a weaker race on the card, and unfortunately, she only could manage third. She got travel sickness, I think. The long drive to Donald. She was flat. She was flat in the yard. She was flat. She was flat. She didn't jump with them. I tell you, he was really flat after the race, Matt. You? And you, mate. I heard you oh, on air. I was like, oh, and well done there. And I, I was like, flat as a tack. Because yeah. I did, I, you know, subsequent to our podcast last week, I obviously covered that Donald meeting. I was like, oh, geez. San Marino's trialed up well between runs. How heavily did you invest in the socks? No, I, look, I had a small bet. I was worried about San Marino. I actually took the Quinella, and, of course, they ran first and third. Yeah, so, so did I. That was uh, the tale of my day. But let's get on to this week's multi. We've heard Gavin Bedgegood's putting no effort in the place. He's terrific mare. Paul, what are you doing? Well, I'm going to bomb you all out in race three. Um, dance to Dubai, the Peter Moody horse with Carleen Heffel on board. Um, you know, nice. No, come on, please. And it's one over the track, one over the distance. Uh, for the win, a bit of money for it already, which does it gives me a bit of confidence, but I wouldn't mind of uh, getting the early price, but it's currently 360 in the market. I must admit, I found it an incredibly difficult card to find. These winter cards are tough. I'm going Vault in the place. I think it's uh, race eight. Kenny, Ken and Casey Keys. Tristan, what are we coming out at? Yeah, so we've got no effort, which I think is a big chance considering um, I'll put the foot on uh, Grand Slam. So no effort, the place, $1.85. Dance to Dubai, three thirty. The win and Volton, three ten. The place, bit of value there. Works out at uh, eighteen dollars ninety two. The all up. So we'll see if we can get uh, get a few of those legs up and about uh, today. Tristan, it cannot lose. Oh, shut up, Paul. Hey, it's been great to get your insight on the point of consumption tax, Tristan. Certainly something to uh, watch over the next couple of months. Best of luck for the uh, the big group one on Saturday. Look forward to catching up next week. Thanks, guys. Back next week. Fascinating stuff there from Tristan around the point of consumption tax, giving us an insight into what it'll actually mean for the punter at home. Uh, it is. I don't think that this campaign that TAB are running, I understand that their business model is under threat. I understand their importance to the industry, but we can't ignore the fact that some of the damage has been self-inflicted. And that advertising campaign we refer to is the Fair Play Australia ads yep. that are running on TV, and I want to which make is clear a TAB-backed well. organisation. I want to make clear as well, our channel is funded by the industry. We're also 100%. funded by Sportsbet. Yep. Um, we've done deals with Entain. We've done, obviously, Tristan's a sp- uh, sponsor of our podcast. So I want to clear that up, that we understand that that we've got relationships with those guys. So I don't 
want to ignore that conflict. The, and the tab court, and tab is massively important for the industry. Yep. A vibrant tab is so important to the health of the industry. But we can't ignore the fact that they are where they are because they had a hugely successful retail business and that hasn't migrated well enough to the digital space. My final comment on it would be those ads, they don't do anything to help anyone. They bring the industry into the mud. My wife watched one during the Logies and said, yes, I don't want to have a bet with Sportsbet or Entain or whatever else, but I also don't want to bet with Tabcorp. Mm. So there's no winners. The industry loses out. And for mine, it's at the detriment of Racing Victoria and Racing New South Wales and all the other PRAs that these ads are running. And they're running on mainstream TV in mm-hmm. the middle of big events. Short of money, but they can afford that. Can you believe, though, that you and I didn't get a Logies nom for after the last? Apparently, you got to nominate yourself. So this is something I've since Freaking found out. Freaking Turf ever, ever uh, won a Logie? Oh, punted a punter. Punted a punter. Oh, boy. Test anyway. tube knows. Anyway, on that note, we'll see you next week. That was a good three. Presented by Racing.com and Top Sport.